You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Last week, we talked about the importance of actors producing their own work. Well, in today's episode, I'm speaking with Joel B. New who is a former actor who now solely focuses on composing and creating new musicals. However, just because you produce it and create it doesn't mean that people will listen to it. The old idiom of build it and they will come just isn't true. I don't know if it ever was, but it it certainly isn't true anymore because I've built a lot of things. And the attendance is not uh, proportionate to the amount of time and effort that went into it sometimes. Welcome to another episode of Why I'll Never Make It, a top 25 theater podcast featuring conversations on the realities of a career in the performing arts. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, an actor and singer for almost 30 years. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com. And there you can sign up for the monthly WinMe newsletter. It'll let you know of upcoming guests, fill you in on how you can get special members-only episodes, and give you a peek behind the curtain of this podcast. So sign up today at whyillnevermakeit.com. It is always a special treat when I get to have a composer on the podcast. I mean, they are the ones who create what it is that I love doing in theater, singing songs. There's something really magical about the marriage between a perfect melody, the right lyrics, and putting them together and telling a story, creating an emotion, and really diving into the inner workings of what a character is going through. This is the reason why I love musical theater. And so I am so happy to have Joel B. New on the podcast today. And yes, that is his actual name, not some stage pseudonym. In addition to being a composer and lyricist, he's also a book writer, producer, educator, and he still performs, especially his own works. He's the proud recipient of the American Theatre Wing's Jonathan Larson Grant and the John Wallowich Award for his songwriting. And like so many songwriters that I've had here on the podcast, he made his way through the Tisch School of Arts, receiving an MFA in musical theatre writing. But before that, he attended college, and there was one big motivating factor as to how he picked the college he went to. 
I moved here in 2004 from Oklahoma. <laughs> as far as musically, what I know about Oklahoma is that's where Kristen Chenoweth went to, to that, school. Yep, yeah, that's where I went. I went to Oklahoma City University because of Kristen Chenoweth. <laughs> See, she's <laughs> yeah. their brand ambassador for mm-hmm. musical theater. Yeah, all these years later. And yeah, I was a musical theater performance major at OCU. And it was my training there that I was uh, allowed and encouraged to explore writing musical theater as well as performing it. And so it was the permission that that program gave me to lean in to these other inclinations and encouraged me to. And that's uh, what led me on the path that I'm on now. I would assume then as you write, you're you're getting to perform these characters as, as you create them, as you write for them. So you're you're trying to embody them as much as you can so that when they actually get a real human being, it's gonna feel a little bit more natural, I assume. I hope so. that's definitely the goal. Um, I love, you know, <laughs> it's it's a great exercise to say all of the lines that I've written out loud to see if and when I trip up, if they actually are organic. And the same with lyrics and melody and just like singing and playing at the piano and because like you'll write the word shall and then you know as you're singing you'll just organically say will instead of shall and yeah. and and you just you got to pay attention to that and like so like that's really like the first workshop is like running it past myself as a performer and so then hopefully the the performer who's going to like be doing it for real is getting at least a second draft yeah, I've done that as a singer, and and it's interesting, especially when the composer's in the room, that I'll be singing something, and without even like meaning to, I change a lyric. You know, I'm gonna fly, or I gotta fly. I I like I change a little something yeah. without even thinking, and the composer goes, you know, what? I think that that does make more sense. Just in the moment, sometimes a flow can it, it just a certain word will make more sense as you go through the entire song. And obviously my version of it's going to be different from your thoughts. And, uh, and so I assume that collaboration, once you bring people into the room really starts to bring things alive. And I would say that that is, that, that is a close, that, that, that is a tie with the most enjoyable part of just like sitting by myself and making myself laugh. And the other, the other favorite part is being in the room with the performers and watching them bring it to life and make choices that I would never in a hundred years make because I'm not them. And so that's when the collaboration uh, starts. And that is a really, really fun time. So much of what we've been talking about so far deals with the creative side, but obviously there is the business side of show Uh that comes with, with getting your name out there with marketing, with reaching out to producers, you know, there there's, you have to like, make the money, you have to, you know, put your product, it, it really becomes a product at that point that you're uh-huh. trying to sell. And I would assume that that I know that for me, being the, in the business of an actor and, you know, promoting myself as, as a as a sole business, that doesn't always come as easily or naturally to me. Do you find the same for you that that business side is not as, uh, <laughs> as natural? Well, it's just not as fun. You yeah, know, that's true. Yeah, it's it's you know the the old idiom of build it and they will come just isn't true. I don't know if it ever was, but it, it certainly isn't true anymore because I've I've built a lot of things, and <laughs> the, and and the attendance is not uh, 
proportionate to the amount of time and effort that went into it sometimes. Yes, that, that is often true. That is often true. Yes. A lot of work and a little result. Yeah. 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 But like you're building something bigger. It's a, it's a marathon for sure. And, um, but it's, yeah, the business side of it, um, not as much fun, not as much fun. Yeah. I would, I would agree with you because for you, once you, you, you're able to write a complete piece yourself, which is, I guess, somewhat of a benefit. It's more work for you, but then once you're done, you have a complete product, a complete musical that you can then, uh, try to get a producer on board with. And so do you try to self-produce first to, to see what interest is there? Or do you try to go to the producer first and then performance? What does that normally look like? Yeah, well, I, I don't know if I'm doing it right, but... <laughs> <laughs> there is no right or wrong. There is just the way. There's just the way. the way. It's, it's a way. Or a way, right. It's, it's a way. It's a way. So, so away for me is, um, I, it's been my experience that, um, some people lack imagination. Like you'd, you'd be surprised how many, um, how many people who can help move your piece along kind of need to see it before they'll help you build it. You know, right. they, they don't, there's, there's a lack of willingness to envision it with you and um i don't say that in any kind of shady way it's just it's been my experience and so what i do to you know and i i like to i like control i like you know to be in charge of my own destiny and my own creativity and so i i often will build it myself and then i will invite you i find it's easier to invite people to the party then ask if you can go to their party mm, yeah. yeah that makes sense that makes sense yeah because as much as they are in the arts producers and again like you said no slide on them but they're they're thinking more business side so a lot of times that's where their their mind is so for them to think outside some box or envision this part or this character or this scene it can sometimes be a stretch for them when they're just trying to be like well, are a thousand people going to want to see this? That's that's the question they're trying to answer. Right. And I want to have fun making the piece as long as I can. I just want to extend and maximize the amount of fun for me because that will hopefully result in a more fun experience for the creative team that I build around me and the project. And then hopefully the more fun that the eventual audience will have with it as well. And so the, like the more I can kind of like stay in my bubble of not having to think about, well, who is this for? And will, you know, and what age group and which genders and, you know, and, you know, which, which are all very important questions. Um, But especially in the development process, I, before I'm ready to show something, I kind of like to shield myself from those questions and just write the thing that's going to, bring the most joy pianos are like people except they like when you correct them pianos need strong hands showing how much they care if played by the wrong hands are you still there do you write 
mostly with with that story first or does a melody come to you first what what is usually your instigator for that song or a piece of music usually us like the song typically is part of a bigger piece as part of a musical and so i before i even touch song or character or even story i think about concept i think about what how is this piece different how is this piece going to move in a way that something that I've written hasn't moved before or is like pushing it a little more in this direction or that direction. So like concept first. And so I'll research really deeply um, what I'm trying to do um, conceptually genre wise and all that kind of stuff. And then from there um, it's definitely story. I'm, I'm a hard, I'm a hardcore believer in outlining and there's a great, screenwriting book called save the cat by blake snyder right and it's just it's it's one of many tools and it's i think it's a great blueprint to start with if you're feeling kind of lost especially if you're not adapting something if you're creating something out of out of nothing virtually um you know the outline is really important to me so i'll write that out you know pretty much you know paragraph by paragraph and the paragraphs kind of tell me where the scenes are and you know i'll get that feeling pretty good before i even start to actually like write anything, write with air quotes. And then from there, then what I've done for the last couple of projects is I'll actually write, I'll write a play version of it first. And okay. uh, So just get the book out of the way kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But just kind of like make sure that I really understand what I'm trying to say and like give the characters room to breathe and kind of make choices on their own. Hmm. Um, Because songs just, they're harder to move. They're harder to move around. And, you know, once you've got a version of the song, you know, you, you can rewrite for sure. But once it's harder, it's, it's easier to like rewrite a scene than it is to, you know, rewrite a song, in my opinion. So I'll write like the play version more or less, but I'm making notes along the way of like where I feel like the songs will be. Because, you know, as soon as like, as soon as you like write like a line for a character that's like more than five sentences long, you're like, well, that's probably a song. (laughs) Right. Right. If he has, or or she has that much to say, it probably needs to be sung. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so like, it's just, it's, it's making space and, and actually I'm just, I'm just making the work easier for me so that I'm, especially if I'm not adapting something, then I'm kind of adapting my own work. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the order that I do things. I do like to write chronologically if I can. I'll write from scene one to scene 17. Yeah. Um, and so, for me. And, and so it sounds like, in, do the songs kind of start to fit in after that paragraph stage or do they come in then as, as, as the book starts to take shape? Uh, sometimes, sometimes it's pretty clear where the songs are going to go or specific songs, you know, especially if you're following more, uh, traditional contemporary musical theater book structure. And you know, you've, you've got like the, I want song and you've got the welcome to the town song, you know, like if you, if you kind of like follow, like I'm a big lover of cliches and tropes because I feel like there's a lot to learn from them. And so if you, if you kind of look at those, which I think I feel like save the cat lends itself to falling into grooves that we're all familiar with for better or worse. And so you can lean on those, look at those and be like, is that the direction I want to go or not? And so it just yeah. kind of gives you some, some guideposts. So sometimes the songs are pretty evident as far as um, what they're going to be accomplishing 
in the outline, but it isn't really until I start to work on the dialogue and the book scenes that um, I start to really get a better understanding of where the songs are going and like who we haven't heard from in a while and tracking tracking characters as, as well as story. Yeah, and so I assume it, this is a several month long process of, of of that outline phase to getting to the book and then incorporating the songs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've uh, I've been fortunate. The inspiration gods are smiling on me right now, and like I've I've written a new musical annually for just for the last two years, and. You know, once I have a goal, you know, that's that's something with me. You know, I will have a goal. I will book a venue months away, you know, nine, 10 months away. And that that goal gets the fire started. And then I just kind of start to. <laughs> it's like that self-imposed deadline. It's like, yeah, I have to be done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then just like reverse engineer the project and be like, all right, well, if that's the performance date, here's when rehearsals should start. And here's where, you know, this is when a draft of the score should be done. And yeah. you, and then you just kind of get smaller and smaller until you're just, until you're looking at, all right, well, if I just, if I write a scene and a song a week or every other week or something like that, and you just, you build it um, incrementally in digestible bites so that you're not overwhelming yourself and um, you're allowed to continue to live the rest of your life, which is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because during, during those months, you, you still have to, to make a living doing other things. Maybe you have other mm-hmm. projects. So I assume several projects start to coalesce at the same time. So you're, you're writing one musical, you're writing this piece, that piece. And I'm curious though, as you go through this process, is there a particular part of it that you enjoy the most? Like, like you know, that, that initial phase all the way through to performance. Is there a a certain place along there, if you could just stop and be like, this is where I want to stay. I love this part. Let me just stay here. Is there one that you like the most? Um, gosh, that's a good question. I went through the graduate musical theater writing program at NYU as a composer and a lyricist. And we, you know, everyone took book writing classes as well, but it was, it was kind of the, for most of us, no one was there to be a book writer. It took a backseat to our, I think, to my detriment in the beginning, because I was very focused on my lyrics and like music uh, later as well. But book was just kind of like this thing that is it's like, yeah, we'll we'll get to it. You know, like that's not why they bought the <laughs> ticket. And, and, you know, and, and that's just my own personal experience uh, through that program and beyond. So the thing that I enjoy in like my my creative mo- writing model right now is, is that just writing the dialogue phase because it just feels like there's just like, there's no stakes. There's no stakes at all. It's su- it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not live or die. I just get to throw words at the page and if they stick, Cause I great. assume there's a lot of freedom with that because really these characters can go anywhere, be anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's really fun and just kind of give them space and give myself some space just to just to play and have fun and um, and I've been really embracing my comedic side the last couple of years and so just like sitting like sitting and like making jokes and making myself laugh um, what a great what a great gig that would be <laughs> right yeah we could we could all use some of that right now that's for yes, sure yes yes yeah. <laughs> 
So the the NYU Tisch program uh, there with the musical theater writing is a great program. I've yes. I've been involved as as one of the singers and, oh, and so and I've also had some of those writers on the podcast and and it's been some of them are lyrics book writer like that was their that was their main thrust. Others have been uh, more on the music side. There was actually only one that I've had where there was one composer, one lyricist, and one book. So I, I've only had one that actually had uh, three people for those three jobs. Mm -hmm. And so with that, with your experience, you stayed solely with the, the music first and then lyrics were added on, or were you a lyricist first and then music added? Well, back in the day, um, the program would admit writers either as music lyrics or both. I don't believe they do that anymore, but there were only five composer lyricists in my class hmm. and the rest were one or the other. One or but, the other. But, but most, but, but oftentimes you were admitted as one, but you did the other one as well. Or, and so you were just focusing and like my, my second year, my thesis year, uh, I was lyrics and co-book writer with my collaborator, Jay O'Connor Navarro, who is uh, oh, still, yeah. yeah, still a collaborator to this day. He's fantastic. Yeah, I, I worked with him on one of the shows. I think he was our music director. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's a fantastic yeah. music director. Now, a musical theater writing program like the one at NYU's Tisch School of Arts is very good at the art of making music, the craft of putting lyrics and songwriting together. But of course, every artist is different. Their process of creating those songs will vary from one writer to the next. And one of the biggest habits, and I suffer from this too, that any artist, any writer has to overcome is that of self-editing, of being too critical too quickly in the very beginning stages of creating a song. I definitely used to be a perfectionist on the the first draft and you know I would fill legal pads with structure and rhymes until like it was all perfect and it would take forever to write like that and now you know now that I'm I'm currently writing at this what feels like a breakneck speed to like write a whole new show every year um you can't do that. It's not realistic. And so if so you just you got to make a big mess of it. If verse two has a few more syllables than verse one, that's fine. Just throw <laughs> it on the page, yeah. sing it at the piano. Maybe verse two is a couple of syllables more because verse one actually also needs to be a couple of syllables more. So like, you know, you're going to learn something from from every piece of it. And so don't like stop being so precious about it and like you you can care without it being precious if that distinction yeah. makes sense yeah yeah it's it's like yes it's your creation but it's not a tiny infant baby that has to be caught it you know you can you can let it breathe and let it figure out its own way yeah yeah let it get its yeah. hands in the dirt and run around yeah. trip fall and <laughs> you know i'm not going to be the only parent you know like there's right Especially you know, once you get into the room with the producer, director, and all that. Have you found that they, or do you sometimes have trouble letting go once they want to get their little hands in it? Um, yes, because I've been, 
because I've been at long this. pause. <laughs> um, yes, the answer is yes, uh, because I've been at this for you know a healthy amount of time, and there's been so many close yeses or maybes or not nows or nos along the way um, that when a, a yes does come along, it's um, it is sometimes. I would say it is often met first with like doubt and mistrust just within on, myself on, on your end on my part. Yeah, yeah. 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 And that's just like, it's, it's ego and it's history and um, trying to work through that. And remember, look, we all want the same thing. We want something, we want to make something really cool and special that a lot of people will see. And so once, you know, once more hands are on the piece, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in transparency. And so I will talk at the be, you know, as close to whatever the beginning is with my teammates to my collaborators as possible. And just say, Hey, here's, here's what I, here's what I usually like, I'm, I'm used to doing this alone. Like, I think I was actually just uh, talking to some producers the other day. And, and I said to them, I was like, I'm, I'm not really used to letting other people hold my babies. And, you know, some people have forgotten and like left them unattended somewhere or maybe they dropped them. And I was like, so I'm gonna, you know, like, please understand that handing my baby to you is, um, is hard. And we're going, I was like, and as long as we keep the, the lines of communication open about that, and you let me know what you need from me and vice versa, then we're going to be fine. So it's just, it's just calling it, calling yourself out on it and, you know, hopefully not in an obnoxious way. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is there a, a nervous part of you, a, a hesitancy in letting that first person or first group of people see something once it's done? No. Okay. No, that's, that's a strong no. That is, um, I can't wait. And, you know, cause I'm going to, I'm going to learn something. And the, the point of, of my pieces, you know, in one shape or other is, is to entertain and it's not going to get better if no one else hears it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to know, I'm going to know what like I think is working, but it's not until I'm watching their faces and I'm hearing their reactions that I'll actually understand what's, quote unquote, really working. So mm-hmm. I can't wait to get it in front of people. Not because, you know, I, I want like accolades of praise. I mean, like, that's great too. But like, that's not, you know, that's not the goal. And I mean, I think it's just important to set those goals at the beginning. If, if it's like a table read, you know, in person or on Zoom these days of just setting the expectations from the beginning and, you know, saying, look, we're, I'm going to send you all a survey later and you can give me feedback that way. Or just saying, you know, this is not a feedback reading. This is a, this is a victory lap because I wrote this in record time. We will have another reading where feedback will be discussed and everything. But today is just a celebration. And so just like setting those uh, expectations um, and knowing that as I'm writing that there is like this celebration table read that's coming or, or whatever, then um, like that, that propels me as well. How do you then find the people, find the producers, find the actors, find like, like, how do you then bring people in, you know, 
people like me who are looking, you know, how, how do we find each other? I think the short answer is just time. And, you know, like doing the, doing the one-off concerts or, you know, like or cre- creating your own things and your own opportunities that then again, it's, it's about inviting people instead of asking to be invited. And so it's creating those, creating my own opportunities and my own spaces and uh, to make those connections happen, hopefully. And, but then also to recognize when the spaces already exist and participate in those as well. So um, yeah, that's it. I mean, as far as like actors, you know, they start like my first troop of actors were, you know, like my best friends from undergrad at OCU. And many of them are still like my favorite people to work with. And so just like building that cohort of uh, like-minded creatives and friends is really the the best way to go. And, you know, if, if I knew how to find producers, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know, you know who, who knows where I'd be right now. But yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, us, I have an answer, us actors, I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah, us actors, we're always just groveling for any chance. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll sing it. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, you need me. Yeah, yeah. But producers <laughs> are a bit more like arm's length. Well, we'll, we'll see how I feel. Maybe. I, who are you? Yeah. There's. Yes. There could I be want, a little bit harder reach. I, yeah, I once went to this like networking event, and you know, everyone had like their name and like their what they do under it, and you know, I had put writer producer because like I I identify as a producer because like I produce my stuff all the time like I'm a producer and some like a writer who just had the word writer on their on their name tag saw the word producer on mine and just like made a beeline and just started (laughs) like before even introducing themselves just started like pitching their show and I was just it was such a learning and eye-opening experience for me because I was like oh god do I do that is that like no wonder producers are so scared to you know like, right right because us artistic types with it they don't know what they're going to get the crazy one or the sensible one or the quiet one. yeah you never know yeah and i think the answer is we are all of them mm-hmm. no it depends on depends on the day depends on the depends day on the, depends on probably depends on on the work i i assume you have to sell different works differently yes yes especially right now in these uh in these virtual theatrical times, you're pitching your project, but you're pitching a version of it that maybe you didn't write it with in mind. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, I was pitching uh, a virtual theater uh, event to a streaming service and I was really making it up as I was pitching it, which I think is, um, Super, super, super professional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. That's always the best path. Yeah, they're like, how, like, so what is this? And who's attached? And I'm just like, <sighs> well, and then you just like, you you make it up as you go. Fake it till you make it. Um, you know, spoiler alert, they did not end up uh, picking up the project, but, you know, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's their loss. To keep yourselves out of trouble. You go looking for places to hide You grab a sheet You grab some chairs Four little feet take to the playroom upstairs No use in scolding I know 
love you crowned, both safe and sound, in a fort. Now, you have not only done full-length musicals, but you've also worked on uh, solo projects. Your your EP I found very interesting, the one that was based on Murder, She Wrote. Yeah, is, is, Right, right. Is that just a, a favorite show of yours and you started being inspired with musical interludes? Yeah, I'm, I mean, like I, I watched that show growing up, uh, usually with my grandma. And I just have so many fond memories of that show and loving Angela Lansbury. I'm at what, I mean, what gay man doesn't love Angela Lansbury. And um, so it's just, it's, it's something that I love and it's um, it's very specific and not a lot of the younger kids these days know what it is or they kind of know, or, you know, so it's becoming more and more vintage by the day. And it was in like 2015, I was doing my first one man cabaret at the duplex. And there was a slot in the, in the set list where we needed something and uh, it was the whole evening was original songs of mine and there was a slot. And so I went home and I wrote a new song called Cabot Cove and it, uh, it, it flowed. It, it was written fairly quickly and fairly easily and it was received really well. And from that one night of performing that song for the first time, I knew that that was a project that I wanted to work on long-term and so then I uh, finished it and made a, a six song EP that was funded through Kickstarter and um, and then was picked up by the Broadway Records label. And four years later, here we are. As far as doing Kickstarter and basically being, like you said, being your own producer, was was that enjoyable to a certain extent because you knew that the end result was going to mean that it was produced? It was really stressful, especially in the beginning, because I didn't do a whole lot of research on how to crowdfund correctly. And so, yeah, yeah, there's there, there's not again, there's not a wrong way per se, but there are better ways. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And so, I, again, I was just kind of making it up as I went and I you know, I wasn't seeing a lot of traction. It was, you know, it was steady, but, you know, I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. You know, I didn't want to go the, I believe it's Rocket Hub that you can, you, you get to keep whatever you make, even if you don't make the goal. And I knew that that wouldn't be a hot enough fire for me. So yeah. I went to Kickstarter and I was like, all or nothing. We get to the goal. We right. don't get to it. And, um, and that really helped me move along. And, you know, it was just trial and error of like how to get people's attention. And it was maybe, maybe two weeks. So a very short amount of time was left on the, the campaign where I came up with the hashtag Dame it. And um, if you donated, like I would dub you a Dame, like Dame Angela Lansbury. And so it uh, like, I would, you would, you would become an honorary Dame and I would take your Facebook profile photo and I would superimpose the tiara and, you know, include the hashtag Dame it in the corner. And so it just became it, it like it, it clicked very instantly. Like people got attention. They're like, oh, I want to I want a tiara. I want a tiara. And it was like the simplest <laughs> thing. And um, like once I figured it out, once I figured out the gimmick of what I was trying to do in order to make the thing, then that became fun. 
Right. Right. Yeah. 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 It's a, and, and that, that's what's so fun, but also what is so stressful about marketing because it, it's, again, it's another creative endeavor trying to figure out these, these ways that will connect with, with, with an audience that will get you likes and clicks and stuff like that. But at the same time, when it doesn't work, then you're not really sure how to fix it or what to do next, or if you should move on or you, yeah. Did you find a lot of those questions coming at you, especially that with that Kickstarter campaign? Yes. Cause you don't know what is working, but you don't, it's, it's harder to understand why something isn't working. Yeah. When because you're marketing. Then, yeah. Because if you know the why, then you can correct or change it. But if you don't yeah. know, yeah, but I mean, you just kind of have to keep sitting with it and leaning into what made you excited about the project in the first place and what makes it specific and what makes it weird. And um, one of my campaign ideas was to reach out to all these other like existing dames to see if they would endorse it and endorse the project or something like that. Hmm. Like, you know, uh, Dame Lans- Lansbury was uh, very hard to get a hold of, you know, I've a couple of emails from her assistant and, you know, just kind of declined to comment and that's fine. Um, I'm still, you know, I'm sure she would love it. Uh, So then I I, kind of went around and I I was like, well, you know, if I can't get Dame Angela Lansbury to endorse it, maybe I can get another Dame. And so like, I reached out to uh, Julie Andrews people and I reached out to Dame Edna's people. And I reached out to like all, all the Dames that I felt like the gay community could get behind. Cause you know, that is a, a, a big part of my following, I would say. Um, and as they all kindly uh, declined and or didn't respond, um, I just, I took it to the streets and it, I, <laughs> I, was, I was like, well, if I can't get official dames, I'm going to dame people myself. And that was the idea that got me to the dame it uh, part of the campaign. And it's just kind of just like paying attention to uh and, and letting those, you know, I guess they're technically failures, like l- like listening to those failures and letting them lead you down a path that could ultimately lead you to a, a yes or a success. Now, now Cabot Cove, even though it had a, a theme around it, it was basically individual songs. There's there really no, you know, dialogue scenes connecting them. Does most of your music have have a standalone quality to it or or is it part of one long piece that really is integrated in that way you know i I enjoy writing songs that are very deeply integrated into the plot and i like writing songs that can be extracted i mean because you have to i feel like you have to have both because shows and development in particular for so long are in like this you know the the circuit of like the development circuit of being in concerts and yeah, things like true. that. And so you, you've got to get, you've got to get to the point really quickly in those, in, in those presentations so that people lean in and want to know more. And so then they will come into come to you and be like, when is the reading of the whole show? Anything like that. But I think it's useful to have uh, songs in your shows and, or your trunk that don't need a lot of setup. God, I hate setup in concert. Because <laughs> again, that goes back to the marketing aspect of it, of having a piece that, or having a song specifically, that can stand on its own, but yet still gives a hint of something more 
so that an audience, a producer will want to see more. Yeah, yeah. Because if it takes you, if the time it takes you to explain what the song is about is longer than the length of the than song, the song. <laughs> which I've seen those, I've seen those readings, yeah. and those concerts. Um, it's just, it's just so painful. And I just feel so, I just feel so bad for the writers. I'm like, uh, who, who's, who's not mentoring you <laughs> to help you? Would you say this is true? Because I do think that a lot of what drives a particular musical and certainly those individual songs is how it plays out in those, you know, high school, colleges, the, the auditions, the, how it plays out in those that will be singing it day in, day out and working on it and auditioning with it. Do you think that that is a, a very strong base of the success of a musical? I do see that is a trend. That's one way to get your, your right. songs out there. For sure. Yeah. For example, I was a part of uh, the Adams Family musical, the uh, the national tour, oh, and cool. Pulled was just a huge song. And, you know, and for high school and, and colleges, Adams Family itself just became this juggernaut, done more so there than I think even regionally. It would just became this huge thing. And I think in large part because girls loved singing that song. So then they wanted to perform it and schools wanted to do it. So th- that that is certainly i guess one avenue i guess a way of yes. having a successful musical yeah i would i would definitely say that's true among the many losses of 2020 one of the first here in new york was the loss of the new york musical festival or nymph as it's known It's an annual three-week summer festival that has presented more than 30 new musicals in New York's Midtown Theater District since 2004 and has featured the work of more than 8,000 artists and attended by 300,000 theatergoers. I had the privilege of performing in one of those a musical adaptation of The Swiss Family Robinson. The musical was still in development, but we had a great cast and a fun time putting it together. Joel also had one of his musicals, To Hell and Back, featured in the 2015 Nymph season. Unfortunately, in January of 2020, the festival ceased operations rather suddenly, and musical theater here in New York certainly feels its loss. Yes, I, I agree with that. I think, um, I think their mission statement and what they initially set out to do is exactly the kind of nurturing that new musical works need. I feel like the evolution of anything that, you know, starts like small and has the best intentions and then, you know, they get some success and like it gets bigger. And then in the end, I mean, just my perception of it, like including the year that I was there, it was just kind of like the show that had the most money already behind it wins. And, you know, and it was just watching my colleagues mount these massive productions of, of musicals that were, were underdeveloped and didn't, you know, it didn't need a six, you know, it it shouldn't have gotten, it didn't need a six figure check. It needed a six week workshop. And that's, um, and that's tricky. It's a little cart before the horse. Like I talked earlier about, needing to build the thing uh, before someone else is willing to like help you build it again or build it better. Uh, But I feel like um, 
yes, but no, you know, you kind of have to, there's a step missing there in understanding what your show really needs. And, you know, and a a lot of the writers from, were from out of town. And so um, I'm, I miss what Nymph set out to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I think another correlation is like Sundance Film Festival. You know, it it, it was this kind of like in the middle of nowhere, it was just this independent films that were just kind of getting a screening. It was just a way to kind of see what's what's happening in you know avant-garde independent filmmaking and and now it's basically another just hollywood red carpet event because all it takes is one or two big movies that come out of it and then and then it kind of became a juggernaut nymph came the same way some huge broadway musicals eventually came out of nymph so then it's like oh well well then then i need to be on Nymph. then i want to be and and i'm sure it 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 probably became bigger than they even thought it was going to be yeah, no, and like they had really good intentions, and I'm really, I'm, I'm proud that that to Helen back uh, has Nymph among its credits, and none of that goes away. Like that right. is all, that is all very well and true, and it's 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 all well and good for us to like you know be sitting here you know like I'm pretending I'm drinking some wine and just like <laughs> ruminating about like all oh, the good old days when Nymph was you know two chairs and a black box you know but it gets you know back in my day exactly exactly <laughs> and you know and like you know and shame shame on me for poo-pooing uh, an organization from the sidelines for doing exactly what it set out to do now here's a brief timeline of some of nymph's highlights In 2008, the musical Title of Show became the first show to transfer from the New York Musical Theater Festival to a commercial Broadway production when it opened in the Lyceum Theater in July of that year. However, it closed three months later after only 13 previews and 102 performances. In the following year, however, Next to Normal became the second show to transfer from Nymph to Broadway, and it became a smash hit winning three Tony Awards, including Best Score and Best Leading Actress for Alice Ripley. Next to Normal went on to win the 2010 Pulitzer Prize for Drama, and that makes it only the ninth musical to be so honored in the history of that award. In 2013, Nymph won a Special Drama Desk Award for a decade of creating and nurturing new musical theater, ensuring the future of this essential art form. So, like... Nymph did its job and um, and per- perhaps too well. I don't know. Like it did its job really <laughs> well. And then people are like, oh my God, like you said, like, you know, oh, now I have to have my piece in, in that festival. Otherwise it won't matter or it won't get seen. And it's, yeah. it's, it's one of those um, perpetual truth building things that aren't true. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And with the pandemic, that's been even more true of, of just trying to, to get seen, to get noticed. Have you found that your work, because you had mentioned about writing for Zoom or not for Zoom, you know, in this virtual world. Mm-hmm. Um, have you found your work harder or having easier avenues since, since everyone's just looking for something, anything online? Um, well, I think people are more discerning than, than looking for anything online i feel it because we've been at this for a while now and you know i've 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 made press releases you know i and 
and few websites, fewer websites pick them up now because, you know, like online, yes, there are many options, but there's really just one stage and you can't, you know, like, so we're all, we're all clamoring for, for the same microphone. And that, um, I found that to be harder and especially because I think at the beginning of the pandemic, we were ju- we artists were just like giving it away. We were giving our art away because that's what we believed in our hearts. The country needed like we, like we as artists, we are, we are the healers, and so we, you know, a lot of us just like gave a lot of content away, which is beautiful. Um, but as we enter month seven, eight, nine plus, you know, we kind of need to pay the rent and (laughs) it's, it's hard. And now it's hard to kind of like, you know, I feel like we're, we're now mid backpedaling and trying to remind consumers because that's what audiences are. They're consumers that, um, that we're worth, we're worth spending your money on. You know, because like before the, it, it was on YouTube or we were just kind of putting it up, you know, to, to give, give people that, that, that artistic uh, flavor juices that they needed to, to keep going. But then we want to start closing it off and say, okay, well now we want you to pay for it. And people are like, well, I, I already have Netflix. You know, we don't want them to, to go away from it. Yeah. Yeah. But you're going to run out of new content on Netflix eventually. <laughs> eventually <laughs> i mean i mean i've i've found some stuff on there i was like netflix made this really so i mean <laughs> i i don't know it seems like netflix's their their original content is never ending and things i've never heard of like how did this ever get approved but yes all right well this has been great talking to you thank you so much yeah. for sharing your process it was my pleasure thank you for asking such um thoughtful questions that's my role that's why i'm here Apart from getting to talk about Joel's work and the actual process of his craft, I'm glad that we really got into the marketing, that business side of this profession that can be so daunting for us artist types, right? I mean, we're so creative and we love to embody these characters and get into music or directing or, you know, really exercise our our artistic muscles. Yet when it comes to that business side, when it comes to promoting ourselves, when it comes to the facts and figures and numbers, sometimes we just aren't the best at it. And so I think that my discussion with Joel was a good reminder that that's something that needs to be just as present and just as strong within us artists as the actual creative part is. And speaking of creative endeavors, Joel has a new birthday concert you can check out. It's called Joel B. New, Back by Annual Demand. And he performs songs from a multitude of his projects, a couple of which you've heard during this episode. So to find out more about that concert and more of Joel's work, go to joelbnew.com birthday. Thanks so much to Joel for sharing his insights today, and thank you for listening and joining us in this conversation. Don't forget to join us also for the final five bonus episode. That's a special episode available to those who support this podcast. 
Go to join.whyillnevermakeit.com to learn how you can become a member and support the work of Why I'll Never Make It. Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Incidental music has been provided in this episode by Bortex. Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next week as I talk to Moonami Productions down in Miami, Florida, as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.